0: Welcome to the Truth and Grace Counseling Podcast. Truth and Grace Counseling exists to provide clarity from a biblically informed perspective in order to help individuals engage life faithfully. Let's go. Welcome to episode two of the Truth and Grace Counseling Podcast. On today's episode, we talk about new equipment that I have. If you're on video, you can already see some new equipment. Pretty sweet. I also announce a new announcement about my personal life. If you've not watched the video just yet, comment down below what you think that might be. I also talk with Pamela, who is the truthful therapist. What does that mean? (laughs) In the last word segment, we talk about a word that is very misunderstood in Christian circles. I'll meet you at the water cooler the water cooler hi welcome to the water cooler get your cups out uh today i've got a cool little stormtrooper cup um again not not so much of a fan of some of the new direction of of some of the star wars films and and some of the uh woke audiology and, and some of that but nevertheless still a cool cup So, got some neat announcements on today's podcast at The Water Cooler. First off, if you are viewing on YouTube or on uh, Rumble, I'm I'm now posting on Rumble, and also um, Apple Podcasts has a video feed, so if you're watching on any of those and you physically see me, you can see that I have some new lighting going on here. Um, During this segment, I'm testing out a kind of a greenish type of uh, filter on these new LED lights that I have. Um, I'm going to be playing around with some of these filters, but... Another new thing is on all of my podcasts, I'm going to be leaving this Google form. And on this, I mean, you can type a comment or email me, whatever, too. But on this form, um, it's a good, easy way for you to give me some feedback. Are there things that you like about the podcast, things you dislike about the podcast? Are there some guests that you would like to have on the podcast? Do you want to be a guest on the podcast? Things like that. Um, I, I always want that feedback. So let me know what you think about these lights, uh, about the the filter um, on there. It has a clear filter. I can get rid of all the color. Uh, if you're looking at that and, and you dislike it, that's that's cool. Um, but just playing around with it a little bit. Some other new equipment. Again, if you're on audio, you, you can't really see this. But... Um, uh, if you're seeing me on video, you see this cool little um boom mic here. Um, really, really neat. This is going to mess with the auto just for a second. You can switch it around up and down. <laughs> um, really, really nice. Um, and it's nice for me too that when I see clients, I can actually stick it way up in the up position. Um, and I What's really neat to get to the microphone a little bit, too, is I can mess with the settings on it. And the my clients can't even see a microphone in the screen at all, but it comes in really nice and clear. And that goes also with a new microphone. This is a Shure MV7. Um, really neat microphone. It's What I like about it is, um, again, for one, it's just... This is a slick looking microphone um i I got the silver option um you know don't don't buy microphones solely on looks, but this is this is a pretty neat microphone and uh anyways, I think the audio quality is much much better. I also bought a a new um pop filter here and um just, I think the audio quality is going to be much, much better on this podcast. And I really take quality serious. I want this to um, be a very well-produced podcast. So um, super excited about this mic. And you can also mess with the settings on this. So again, when I'm on a, a Zoom call or whatever with, with my clients, I can set it to a further setting. So it will amp the volume up a little bit more since I have it off camera. And then now I've got the, you know, the microphone right up next to me. So it has a, a near function there too. So it can kind of auto level there. Just super, super happy about, about this purchase. And, um, I want to continue to, um, buy things that will be helpful for the podcast continue to innovate. I've got my buddy uh Ian, he's the one that is uh editing all of the uh the YouTube videos and stuff. So feel free to say hi to Ian and Ian feel free to <laughs> edit something in there to to say hi to the listeners. He's really really helped me help me out with that as well. So again, feel free to leave me a comment or go into that Google form and leave any feedback. If you like it, you dislike it, if you want to have a guest on the show, you want to be a guest on the show, that is always going to be there. Uh, feel free to, to check that out. Bit of personal news um, that I'm obviously super excited about. Um, my wife is pregnant. Um, she is pregnant with our uh, third child. Um, we we don't know the the sex of the child just yet, but we are going to get um, kind of blood testing done, so we'll we'll know here um, here pretty quickly in the next few weeks of uh, of what gender our baby is going to be. So this, like I said, it's our third child. uh, I've got a three-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son. Um, And as much as we are super, super excited about having another child, um, my wife has something called hyperemesis. And if you've never heard of that um particularly if you're a woman and you've never heard of that then you're um consider yourself lucky basically it just means that um you have super morning sickness um so basically my wife stays sick for um the entire pregnancy. <laughs> so not fun, not fun for her, but um, we're super, super excited to have uh, another little one. And um, not only that, um, that that's the most excitement, but um, super grateful and blessed to have uh, my, my parents that live in the same hometown as me to, to be able to help out. And then also my church family that has just really, really stepped up and um, had women over to, to help watch the kids and uh, help clean the house and and take care of any needs that my wife has. Super super grateful for that. Feel free to uh, to leave me a comment of what are some ways either if, if you're a woman that uh, when when you've been pregnant or, or had children, um, how either your church or family has helped you out, or just in general, um, if you're um, if you're a male or or if you're a woman that's had. You know, just other issues, uh, illnesses, or um, just support from friends, family, and the church. How have they helped you out? Um, and, and I think this is such an important conversation because I, I know in America, especially, we really like to talk about individualism and and doing things on your own, which is fine and good. I I, I support that, but. We can't do it alone. We, we have to have community around us, and community is so incredibly important. So feel free to let me, let me know down below uh, what, uh, what community helps you and, and what type of support that they give you. All right, thanks for joining me at the water cooler. I'll see you at the meat section. The meat section. All right. And welcome to the meat section. Today we have a special guest on. Um, We have Pamela Garfield Yeager. She just told me her name and I fumbled it a little bit, but (laughs) is a licensed clinical social worker in California. She completed her MSW in 1999 from New York University. She has a variety of experience in schools, group homes, hospitals, and community based organizations. Since getting fired for not taking, well, and th- we're going to do this on YouTube. So, that one thing that people got fired for, a certain vaccine, she has dedicated herself to educate parents and embolden other mental health professionals to challenge the ideological capture of her profession. Pamela, it's great to have you on today.
1: Hi there. Thank you so much. It's so great to talk to another like-minded therapist.
0: Absolutely. And to kind of peel the curtain back a little bit, we were just talking before and we're like, well, let, we might as well start this. We're already talking so much. So I, I'm I'm really excited too, to, to get this going. Uh, so this being um, the, the, the meat section of the podcast, what we titled this, it's kind of the, the part where we actually get to business. Have to ask, what is your favorite kind of meat?
1: Yeah, so I I saw you actually, you told me you were going to ask me this question, so I thought a lot about it. (laughs) (laughs) There's other, this is the most important question. Yeah,
0: absolutely it is.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, I really love filet mignon. I take it uh, medium rare, so pink, not red, but pink. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, So that's my favorite meat, but I have to say, honestly, my favorite food in general is seafood, and I really like sushi, so.
0: Okay. Now, when you say sushi, um do you have a certain type of sushi or just really anything in kind of that world?
1: I like almost all of it. Yeah, I'm pretty open. I've been eating yeah. it for a long time since the 90s, and so I've, I've acquired a taste for it since not feel, com- you know, feel comfortable eating all different types of sushi. I think I like the salmon the best. Mm-hmm. I like a lot of different rolls, but um
0: Yeah, fish. I like fish. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Um, We have. I mean, we. It's not like we, in Oklahoma, that we don't have any sushi. We we have some, but it typically is going to be the the big sellers anyway. Is uh, you know, you got to have a lot of sauce on it. uh, Fried stuff. You know, all of that fun stuff. So it's sushi, but I wouldn't say hardcore type type of sushi here.
1: Yeah, that's true. You probably don't get as much fresh sushi in Oklahoma as I do in California.
0: No, I mean we get catfish. There's there's a lot of that, but I, I, not not the you know typical seafood type of stuff quite as much.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how you where you live will influence your your taste of, of your palate.
0: <laughs> Which on that, um, you know. California Oklahoma obviously two very very different worlds and we'll, we'll talk more about that in a, in a second I'm sure but when i think meat section 2 when when i think when i hear that word meat around here anyways my immediate go to is is barbecue um mm-hmm. do you do you barbecue much like how how big is that over there
1: my husband does a lot of barbecue. We have a barbecue on our porch and he uses it quite regularly. So I'll eat it vicariously because he cooks. I really like when I go out for barbecue. My favorite is the pulled pork sandwich mm-hmm. with the barbecue sauce. So I do, I definitely appreciate a good barbecue.
0: Okay, very good. Yeah, I, I might need to just uh make a side podcast that's just about meat. I, I enjoy, enjoy talking about about the meat part. And clearly you've done your your research on this question, so I, I appreciate that. <laughs> so I'm I'm trying to remember. Um we found each other on Twitter. Um do you know like what like was there a specific tweet or something that we ran into each other? I don't even remember remember. Well,
1: you posted a video that I really respo- I really resonated with about being a conservative therapist and mm-hmm. how you were going to speak out and you were no longer going to be shy about your values and you you listed I think five reasons. I don't uh-huh. know if I can list them all, but Lot I can either,
0: so that's, that's okay.
1: <laughs> it was just about being true to yourself and true to your values, and and not hiding it anymore, despite the fact that our profession is predominantly left leaning, and I believe is very captured by ideology.
0: Yeah. So that's um, why I
1: think I, I retweeted that and responded to it and shared it also on my Instagram, and I probably started to follow you. Maybe I don't know if I DM'd you or not, or may, I'm not sure, but I really liked what you said, so that, that's how we connected.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Well, I, I I appreciate that, and um, we we're like we were talking about earlier. I think it's just so exciting, and and when you hear like, oh, conservative therapist, if you are one, boy, you just latch on because there it's we're just such in the minority that it's just so refreshing to hear like you it's almost like a constant gaslighting that you're the only one that ever existed. And it's just not true.
1: So can I tell a funny story? I was just at Turning Point USA. And (laughs) I stood in line to meet Dennis Prager. He uh, wrote a book and uh, I stood in line to get him to have the signature. And I went up to him and I said, hi, I'm a Jewish conservative therapist from California. (laughs) And then he turned to me and he said, he t- actually turned to the, the man next to him, who's actually the executive director of PragerU, and he said, this woman is a Jewish conservative <laughs> therapist from California. Do you know how many there are out there? And then he put <laughs> his finger up, like, really, you know how he does it, like, really, uh-huh. really, really. One. <laughs> I just, that was, like, my moment of pride. I am yeah. a unicorn. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're not, yeah. we're we are unicorns out there but there are others and um sure there's a few there's two facebook groups with conservative therapists and um and i'm a neoconservative i'll say i wasn't always conservative my whole life uh-huh. so but it doesn't really matter um and then there's people who aren't even conservative but i'd say are just not captured by the ideology yes. that our profession has taken on and i think we all have a lot of similarities uh,
0: absolutely um there's there's a lot there that I want to get into, and I think we'll parse them out kind of one by one. But I want to hear your story. We, you're, um, you're in California, liberal field. That how how does one become conservative in in that situation? So just kind of tell me your your conservative type of story.
1: Yeah, so it's kind of crazy. I was a lifelong Democrat, lifelong non conservative. I actually grew up in New Jersey and lived in New York city for many years. That's where mm-hmm. I went to grad school. As you said earlier, um, my whole family is pretty left-leaning liberal follows the mainstream narrative. They still do. So it's been difficult. Um, but my big awakening was 2020. And it, it was for me in particular, it was the time during the George Floyd riots that really woke mm-hmm. me up. Um I, I, that was the big awakening. Although I realized at that time, I probably had been slowly waking up before that for a a while. And then it all kind of clicked together in that moment. So it was during that week when everyone was posting those black squares. And (laughs) everybody was telling, chanting defund the police and even abolish the police. And uh, to I went on the website, the, the Black Lives Matter website, and I looked at what they stood for, and it showed that they were for destroying the nuclear family. Yep. And that they were for abolishing the police, and that they were trained Marxists, and all of these things that I think most people, if they really knew what all that meant, they wouldn't have supported either. And then I remember just super naively um, messaging the running group that I was in who was promoting Black Lives Matter Uh in a way, I think, with virtue signaling. But I think they thought they were just doing the right thing. They thought they were Uh being nice. And uh, I messaged them and asked them to reconsider. And especially with my position as a social worker who's worked in inner city neighborhoods and Mm -hmm. understands how important police are and how they're already struggling getting police in their neighborhoods and things like that. And they just completely ignored me and said, no, we stand by this. And just and then just ha- the domino effect of every corporation, yeah. every single one of my friends. And then I I was silent still for the most part. And then I remember on when the Brianna Taylor case came mm-hmm. on at mm-hmm. the scene and the the facts were not what they were saying in the news. And they were saying she was sleeping in her bed. Right. They were saying the police shot first when it turned out her boyfriend actually shot first, which sounds like it was all really an unfortunate situation where it sure. was a misunderstanding because they thought it was just a regular intruder. I don't think it was an attack, but regardless, there was some merit for what happened there. It just sounded really messy, right? And so um, I posted Officer Tatum, who was part of my wake up watching some of his videos. Uh-huh. I, he put... police report of what actually happened there and all i did was post that police report on my facebook and i got attacked Mm -hmm. by all of my childhood friends who all called me racist yep they told me i was white-splaining they said i don't care about black people and these are people that honestly either work in tech or they're not involved in any of this stuff i spent my whole career working you know, with underprivileged populations, sure. I had been visiting the projects for over five years in New York City. i had been working in East Palo Alto, where, you know, a lot of the struggling kids are here in the Bay Area. I live near San Francisco, here in the Bay Area. I was working with those populations, you know, right. my whole life, since the mid-90s. And so I had seen it firsthand. And so it was strange for me, someone that was actually, I'd say, doing the work, or you know, just right. really actually at least trying to help and being involved in it, dedicating my life to it, not getting paid much for it. These people telling me I don't care about these populations. It was it was ironic and difficult. And that's that was my big wake up that people, mm-hmm. I didn't realize people were that captured, I guess. Yeah. And um, the reason I was so naive to that, one of the reasons is I was actually on disability for several years just before that. And so I wasn't really a part of the whole, I'd say the years between 2016 and 2020, where I think our nation really Mm -hmm. went on a deep Mm -hmm. divide and the media really went kind of cuckoo about some of these narratives and I wasn't really paying attention to them. So I wasn't indoctrinated, I think the way others were. Mm -hmm. And I was still thinking like an old school liberal, I guess. So yeah, all of that stuff woke me up. And then I just, I had this deep pain in my chest about, Basically, everything I thought I believed was not true. <laughs> and yeah. I That's when I, I mean, I knew of him, but I really discovered Thomas Sowell and started uh-huh. watching him, his videos online. I started listening to Larry Elder's radio show. Mm-hmm. I started listening to Charlie Kirk and learning more about like politics and civics and, and how our government was working and just hearing other points of view. And I'm not even saying I agree with everything these people stand sure. for. But it doesn't mean I still didn't have a lot to learn from them. And I did. I learned a lot from a lot of these people. I listened to Dave Rubin, who is, I think, in a similar was similar to me, where he was a liberal that mm-hmm. kind of woke up. He woke up because I actually he had Larry Elder on his show, basically teaching. I, I
0: remember systemic. that video. That's a good video.
1: Yeah. So I identify with him a lot. Um, that systemic racism is a lie, basically, because I did believe in that. And what's strange that it's become such a strong narrative is that that's something I believed in. I'd say 1994, when I was in undergrad as a sociology major, yeah. I was one of the first rounds of people who were indoctrinated into this sure. ideology. But I guess I didn't take it as literally as it's being put out now. So it, it didn't always add up. And I just sort of took pieces of it. And mm-hmm. um, now I don't take any pieces of it. Now I think yeah. it it all a way to divide us. I've just learned a lot of things that this is all a way to divide us, a way to keep us, um, I'd say, silent. You know, if you're not yeah. of a certain skin color, you can't say things. Um, I'm So I'm just emboldened now. I'm not scared anymore. I get it. I get that this was an agenda. Sure. And um, it's been a rough road because I lost friends, one, just from being on disability and learning that people weren't there for me that I believed were my friends. And then I, learned mm-hmm. I lost a second round of friends for posting about Breonna taylor and not standing by blm so it's been a it's been a journey
0: you, you know uh, it's yeah. it's interesting you you talk about that i mean 2020 is a is a year uh anybody that's alive now will never forget that year uh, that just so it was just constant something was hitting you all the time and it's interesting hearing your perspective on that because I had a similar exper- experience, but I was in such a different setting. So in Oklahoma, like I said, and we, we were hit with COVID pol- policies like everywhere, but um, by and large, our we're in a rural red area. Life was fairly normal, and they, compared to other places, and. and obviously yeah California other areas still like I think where some of those areas are now might have been where we were at at the absolute worst like to kind of just kind of put perspective that's not exact but in that in a conservative area I've always been um conservative ish there's been times in my life I was just more apathetic I think would be more than anything um but Despite being very different situations, my experience during the the BLM, the the whole riot that summer, almost identical as yours. And that's what really struck me. There's black squares everywhere. There's just this... BLM stuff everywhere. I say, yeah, I, I did the same thing. Went on the website, verbatim showed people this is what this website says. Destroying the nuclear family. This is in the website. Like I'm using their words. And like, oh well, um, just because I don't agree with the the organization, I still agree with the mindset. It's like in my mind, is like if this is happening here in rural super ruby red conservative Oklahoma. It's everywhere. It is absolutely everywhere. And I wasn't quite to the point where I'm as open in in my profession. But personally, that was a huge shift in my life, too. It's like, oh, my gosh, like, if I want my kids to have any semblance of like truth, like, I can't just like stuff. I I have to say something.
1: Yeah, it's, it's wild. Um, Yeah, I it, it, I just didn't know people were that we're such followers, I guess. Yeah. So I didn't know that about people. I like think that was my big wake up too, was mm-hmm. that um, I learned a lot about human nature. And um, I mean, this is, I was thinking about this. There was always a thing, like a trend in the past where I remember when um, Trump was inaugurated and there was some talk about there was funding was going to be taken away from Planned Parenthood. And okay. then everybody posted pink squares on there. Yeah social medias. I did not follow any of that. And I got to be honest, I was sort of apathetic on that. I, I don't didn't have a strong opinion about mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood and abortion. I don't even want to get into it because I know so many people do have strong opinions sure. about it. But I'm just going to say at that time, I didn't. And I remember watching people just do that without thinking and just thinking that's not me. But, but when the BLM thing happened, it was like nothing Everywhere. before. And it seemed like it was because everyone was locked down just before that. So I feel like there was this isolation or this need yeah. to extra virtue signal or something. There was something different yep. then, but it just, it never went away. Mm-hmm. And it, it really changed my worldview to be honest of, of how everyone, not everyone, I don't want to say everyone, how just sure. a large portion of people are. So
0: yeah, I, I, said very similar experience there was a, a a girl that i went to to grad school with that during right in the height of things and that's when i first it was like my first post of not just oh i don't agree with this but like actively going against the narrative um and i was pushing pretty hard because i was just ticked off at, at at everything at that point and anyway she reached out to me and you know racist that all, all that the, the typical stuff but eventually got to the point of like okay let's do an experiment you give me your your film a uh, a book whatever um i will read it i will look at it and then you agree to do the same with me and we'll kind of do this academic debate of of sorts well she gave me the the 13th um that the uh, netflix documentary um which I'm not going to say it was the worst thing ever. There were some points on there and I actually wrote down, there was some stuff in there that I agreed with. There was like uh, uh, the war on drugs, the war on crime. So some of those type of things are like, okay, yeah, that probably was, wasn't the best of, of approaches. Um, But I, I got my notebook out. I'm writing notes. Like I took it serious. And then I gave her a, a Thomas soul video and a, a Larry elder video actually. And, her response back was like, it was like two sentences of, oh, well, that's just economic freedom. That's different or something. It's like, you didn't take this serious at all. And, and at that point, that's where my mindset shifted. Like, okay, we're not all looking for the same thing here. We're, we're not. I always thought you've got liberal, conservative or wh- whatever it may be. We have different ideas, but we're trying to get to the same spot. That's and what I
1: thought. Yeah.
0: It, it's just not true.
1: Yeah, I I thought that too. That was my naivete. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think people, I don't know. I think it's, I don't want to analyze it's different people of different perspectives, but I really just have learned how it's, too, it's hard for people to change their mind on things. I, I guess mm-hmm. I was able to do it pretty easily, actually. I, I guess it, it doesn't, I didn't base my identity on these things. Mm-hmm. No, I never mm-hmm. did. And I think that's what's different about me. And I realize that a lot of people do, including my own family. And I haven't yeah. been able to, um, they they just say condescending things to me like, well, we know you have those views, but we love you anyway. But whenever we have a conversation and I bring up some just truth, they just say, I didn't know about that. And then they change the subject <laughs> and they don't want to hear it because they don't want yeah. their reality to be shattered. they I mean, I think their reality that's based on a lot of lies. Sure. So it's, it's tough. And, um, yeah, so I, I actually, before I started being, I'm the truthful therapist now on Instagram, and I've really dedicated myself to, because I'm a mental health person to talking out about how mental health field has been mm-hmm. captured. But before that, I actually had an account where I just talked about my whole awakening and just all the different elements of things that I, I didn't question before that I realized, Oh, this is why, well, this is why I would need the second amendment. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is why I, I never, I mean, I just didn't think about it because I was a spoiled free American that didn't know these things who was indoctrinated in college and in grad school. So mm-hmm. it was just me kind of waking up to all these, at least understanding the conservative point of view. I just didn't understand it before. Um I did I'm by the way I'm married to a conservative man. So I never obviously was not um thinking that conservatives were racist or bad because I married sure. one and I love him very much. Uh but I always just thought we had different points of view like I'm the bleeding heart liberal social worker and he's the uh-huh. no nonsense conservative you know when it comes to that. But now I I'm in some ways more conservative than him sometimes like yeah. I'm just more deep in it. Like where I'm, I'm really paying attention and watching what's going on and seeing how all these policies are, you know, how the especially in California how these policies are harming people on purpose. Yes. I think at this point, but they're harm they're either way they're harming them and not hurting them. I mean, and not helping them. Right. Um, and things right. that a social worker is not supposed to think because a lot of the things that they implement are things that would supplement or you know, fund my job or what I would want to do. But now I'm like, wait, these programs actually aren't helping at all. So um, I also, I watched uncle Tom and I tried Uh to get my family to watch that. And they said they would watch it, but they never talked about it. So I think they never did. And we couldn't ever have a conversation about it because that really taught me a lot. And not just about what's happening today or what's happening in 2020, but the whole history of the democratic party and you know how civil rights came into play, and um, yeah, just a lot of things even from the past uh, that were misconceptions or overlooked or glossed over in my education, right? So,
0: right, and and I think that's what's so powerful about things like that is that that's not an opinion. Um, you you have a, you have a debate or whatever, two different perspectives. Okay, fine that. Maybe one's right, one's not, or maybe we just agree to disagree, wh- whatever. But you look at experiences like that, um, Uncle Tom, any type of uh, my one of my big just documents of of looking at 2020 stuff was um, what again with Thomas Sowell of uh, discrimination, disparities, um, yes. read that book. It. And it's, I just wanted to throw it at people because it's like this. This is what's going on here if and this is not opinion this is this is just fact, and I think that's that difference though of the the ideologies. if truth is not at the end of the road, then you can believe anything if I want my team to win, if I want to feel better or whatever it may be, the ends justify the means i'll I'll get there any which way I can, but if truth factor's in there um for instance i'll I'll give one thing on me just with uh with covid stuff that um i think i've been right on most of it but in the beginning i thought okay we're gonna go in through march and then by june it'll be gone and, and no big deal and i was wrong like i thought
1: I, that too i had no idea yeah
0: yeah I, and I can stand here and say, okay, it was a bigger deal. There clearly was more effects there, um, definitely in the elderly population. I was wrong on that because the the facts show it was a much bigger deal. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I'm.
1: It was the government piece. I didn't realize the tyranny part.
0: Oh man. Oh, not, <laughs> that, but that's the whole thing. Is that's a whole other question that. If I can't stand on that truth side of things, where um, this is something that is legitimized, I can look at in 2020, look at the excessive death data or whatever, government intrusion or not, I can look at that. There was an effect there. Anybody can agree with that. However... What we can't agree about at all is how much did that intrusion affect these numbers? Not in 2020, in 2023, we're still facing these issues. And maybe I'm putting on my tinfoil hat a little bit. I think that's going to be the rest of our lives that we're going to have just some unraveling because you look at education levels, um, vaccine stuff, childhood vaccines are, are at all time lows. I mean, who knows where where this whole thing unravels? But going back to another Thomas Soul thing, not only do we look at truth, we have to look at um, what are the consequences here. Who's facing the consequences? And you know the the big wigs in Washington—they just sign something, they move on. That they, they've got plenty of of money. We're we're the ones that face the consequences, and. <sighs> You, again, you just want to shake people, like stop, stop supporting these things that, that are, like you said, not just not her, not helping, but actively harming people. And, and it's, it's just very, very frustrating.
1: That was what was so hard during the COVID and the lockdowns, because who was hurt the most? The low income families, yep. the minority families, the people in the inner cities. As someone who's worked in schools and in inner city schools and already stra- worked with children who were already truant not showing up struggling academically to think what they did to the education system to lock kids down like that i mean i still can't wrap my head around the damage that was done and i just i was like my heart was aching so badly and i just couldn't understand how people who say they care about the underprivileged or you know poor people or people that have less than them how they would think that this is all okay that that would to me just blew my mind. I was I mean, that is not that was never a, a democrat stance. And no. I, I I just couldn't understand how this was okay. And especially as a mental health person, other social workers out there that I think we all got into the field, as much as I kind of talk smack about how they are. I mean I <laughs> believe that they they that they believe they're helping and they're there to help. And they wanna help the less privileged or however you wanna call it, people who are struggling in some shape or form. And, you know, I used to go to the projects in Brooklyn and the Bronx and all those areas and watch these kids struggle and barely be able to get dressed and go to school or, you know, most of them couldn't read at any kind of grade level then, you know, without any of this stuff. And then to see that they were just locking all these kids down and Obviously, the parents, they were barely getting supervision from the parents before. The parents wouldn't be able to handle this. If the parents were actually working, they clearly wouldn't be able to uh, supervise them. And then if parents were having their own issues, again, I mean, there's just there's just so many elements to it. You know, yeah. we know that child abuse went up. We know that domestic violence went up. We know that the stress of families went up and basically across the board. But it yeah. really heavily impacted the most, the, the people that we're supposed to care about the most as the democrats because that's their kind of marketing and so i think that was also part of my wake up was watching that unfold and be like hey guys uh w- w- what's going on here this, is, yeah. this doesn't make any sense and yeah they were lying about the numbers that we know that um in new york homo put uh, the COVID positive patients yep. into the nursing homes. And then that made the numbers go up high, but people don't realize that that's why the numbers were shooting up. I mean, that was, that was inducing fear. We know that there were a lot of false positives. We know that sure. they were beefing up these numbers to make everyone afraid. They were doing that ticker every day of the deaths. Oh, just to awful, make everyone afraid. So um, it it took me a little while to wake up on the COVID thing. And again, it was around that time in June, July, because all of a sudden it was okay to be out on the streets and be in crowds and, and not be tracing people and doing all those things because in the name of, you know, anti-racism. And I was like, huh,
0: wait a uh-huh. second. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was at, at that level. Not that I really had, I, I was an early adopter to, uh, some of the distrust of, of some of the COVID stuff. Like I said, I, even to a degree where, um, it was, I was even wrong. Like paul Thought that it was going to be a much less big of a deal than it ended up being. But that period, if I had any shred of respect left for public health officials, like, okay, you guys don't care at all. This is just a game to you.
1: Yeah, that was it. That was when I was like, okay, they're they're not for in for our best interest. And you know. here in California, so you didn't have to go through what we went through. I mean, we actually weren't even allowed to drive more than five miles from our house Great. for several weeks. Then we were lucky and they let us go 10 miles. And they actually had police officers out on the freeways to pull people over and run their license plates. I mean, this was happening. I live by the beach. They closed the beaches down. And... They, would, they closed the parking lots. I was actually allowed to go to the beach as a resident because they, what they were doing is they were running license plates, people parking in the neighborhoods. And if your license plate wasn't in our town, you got a ticket. You got a citation. I don't know for how much, but they were doing that. So, I mean, this is how insane it was here in California. And this was well past June, July. This was going on through the – I mean, kids were locked down for over a year, two years, close to two years here, the longest, so
0: I just couldn't believe it. This this talk it, it kind of leads me into and I I've read some of your, your sub stack and everything. So I've got a little bit of uh detail, but I'm I'm actually just curious myself. Um tell me a little bit about what led into being back into work. Um obviously there's these mandates. Um I don't know if I'm on YouTube allowed to say vaccine mandates. If not, I'll, I'll bleep it out. So vaccine mandates. Um, but what led into your decision to to not do that and ultimately lose your job?
1: Yeah, so I spent – I was working at UCSF in 2016, actually, just started this new job. It was really well-paid, and I thought this was like the beginning of finally getting a job with good benefits and a good salary and um, – after all these years of kind of working for crap (laughs) and all that. (laughs) So um, I got this job at UCSF and then they gave me kind of a terrible desk and I I quickly came down with pain in my wrists and my arms and then it snowballed into pain in my neck and then really shooting pain down my arms or to the point where I was incapacitated and I had to drop out of work and I didn't know what was going on. I thought I just had some carpal tunnel and just a little rest and I'd be back. But it turned out I had this really serious rare condition called thoracic outlet syndrome, Hmm. where basically my nerves were being compressed between my collarbone and my top rib over here, which is called the brachial plexus. And most doctors don't recognize that or know what that is. So it took a long time to figure it out, a long time being over a year, and they didn't believe me. They just wanted me on antidepressants because they thought I was just avoiding life, even though I could barely tie my shoes. I was basically having wow. struggling with my ADLs. I, I was really bad. And before that, I was a very athletic, active person. I was doing triathlons. I was an avid swimmer. I had swam from Alcatraz maybe six times. I mean, that's wow. what a big deal of a swimmer I was in terms of how dedicated I was. I wasn't that fast, but I, was, <laughs> I just really enjoyed it. And I was very involved no. and very active and just very athletic. I did martial arts, all kinds of things. And the fact that they were just treating me like I was just some person just giving up on life because they, didn't, they couldn't see what was happening in, my, in a scan um, was heartbreaking. And, I, of course, I would cry in the office because no one would believe me and I was really scared. So then they just thought I was more neurotic. And that's, that was just the cycle. Oh, my goodness. So I went through this whole thing. I went through this whole odyssey. I finally figured out what what was going on, mostly through online. And then I found a specialized doctor and had to pay out of pocket to give me the proper diagnosis. And then I went through, like, this was, I was in so much pain. This is years. I'm talking years. So much pain. Um, Going to physical therapy just so I could get through the day. Um, Mostly could just go out for a walk and then just lay down on heating pads and ice packs. I mean, this was my life for, like, close to four years. Um, I went back to work briefly but then had to drop out again because I ended up getting a surgery which involved removing my rib. And my, so I actually I actually have it in my cabinet. I have they gave me my rib back.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs>
1: And that actually helped me a lot, but it didn't help entirely. And I was still in a lot of pain. So what happened was there was a lot of scar tissue left in there that was compressing on what's called my ulnar nerve, which is basically the nerve you feel when you bang your elbow against a wall, uh-huh. you know, like you hit your funny bone. Well, right. I felt like, you know, that awful feeling. I had that feeling all the time without banging my arm. Like I was in so much pain oh. all the time still. And so then I went through round two of doctors not believing me and saying I just had um, fibromyalgia or like it was just like a chronic regional pain syndrome, which is basically uh-huh. like your brain is just misfiring because you've been in pain for so long. So now your brain doesn't know how to like right. process pain anymore because you were in pain for so long. And they just treat chronic pain um, tr- uh, patients as though they're just crazy, like, and they don't listen. Mm-hmm. But it turned out they finally did an X or, you know, a scan, X-ray, and there's this gigantic lump of scar tissue that from that other surgery in there that was compressing on my nerves. And at this point, I, I had nerve damage where it was showing up on the cat, the scan, I forgot what it's called, mm-hmm. where they do for the carpal tunnel. Uh-huh. So, I mean, the nerves have been compressed for so long that I was actually getting nerve damage. And they still weren't believing me. Um, but I finally got it. This was in 2019. I, the, there was a neurologist at UCSF that went in, it was really risky, and they didn't know what, what was going to happen. And they went and they took out the scar tissue. It was really the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. I'm grateful though to these surgeons that did really help me, but I was—I've never been right since. When I went through such hell, every medication they ever prescribed to me always had a side effect that made me crazy in some shape or form. So I just did never responded well to medications. So I just everything—everything everything that was supposed to help didn't help. So as you can hear, I had a difficult experience with the medical system. A little bit of mistrust, and also just feeling as though I'm that one in a million that. Something bad's going to happen, so I was yeah. just to say I was a little hesitant on the thing,
0: sure, <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> and so I went through all that, and I was finally better, like functional enough, where I was able mm-hmm. to sit in a chair. I mean, I really wasn't able to sit in a chair, I wouldn't have been able to have this conversation with you um in in two thousand and nineteen I wouldn't have been able to do it I couldn't even sit up like going out to dinner i couldn't do it, so um, I finally got back to work. Just enough to work part time. I was per diem. I'd spent years as a supervisor. I was quite had so much vast experience, but I was just a per diem at a IOP PHP program, just like a float working in the teen and the adult and substance abuse program. I was able to get shifts about two days a week, but it was week by week because I couldn't always guarantee I'd be feel well enough to come in. You know, I was still getting migraines and could flare up. So that's how I was doing it, but I was regularly going in and it was really great to be back in the world, to be in society. And this was in 2021. So I went through that big medical thing. Then 2020 happened and we all know what happened that year. Then I finally got back to work in 2021. So grateful. I thought this was my big comeback. And honestly, the people I was working with, I felt were really kind and nice and they were respectful and I liked them. But man, things had changed. <laughs> so it was, it was eye-opening to see how different things were in terms of a lot of this critical race theory stuff, mm-hmm. all this victim mentality stuff was reinforced, and of course, the gender ideology stuff. So I, I just saw all of that. And then the masking. So here we, we're – by the way, as we speak, what's today? January uh, – 14th. 14th, 2023. They are still masking at this program that I work at group therapy for people with severe mental health issues. And if there's no end in sight. And these are people with like paranoia, with schizophrenia, with delusions. Hey, that, that'll anxiety. help. Them. Yeah. And here we are there. I'm doing therapy with a mask on. They're all are forced masks, being forced masks themselves. To me, this was wild. Like what the heck? And even there was even a period of time where Gavin Newsom had lifted the mask mandate, but because we were in a medical center, they didn't lift it. And so that there was all that going on and I was just like blah like I this is not aligned with my values anymore. Wow. I'm not getting the thing because all of what I just described and and I actually applied for what I thought I could get a medical exemption because of everything I went through. Sure. But actually the state of California wouldn't allow anyone to get a medical exemption. No one could get a medical exemption. I think there was the only exception is if I had experienced anaphylactic shock from a vaccine in the past. That would be the only exemption. So despite everything I went through, I wasn't allowed to get an exemption. I did not mark religious exemption. And truthfully, I'm not even that religious. It would have been a lie. Um, Maybe I would have, would have done it. But at the same time, I also felt like everything that was going on there was not aligning with my values. I still get some disability because I can't work full time. So I let it go. And then that's when I decided I'm going to be the truthful therapist, and <laughs> yeah, <gonna> speak up <laughs> and I, I'm wow. uncancelable. Um, I realized I kind of had a calling after going through all of yeah. that, and they I felt like they weeded me out. Um, I, I hadn't really spoken up about what was, going, what was going on, I was getting ready to, but then they weeded me out before I had a chance to because I was only yeah. there for about six months and only part time as a per diem, so I didn't really feel comfortable yet. But I was getting respect, I just gotten a really good review the week they let Mm -hmm. me go. (laughs) But that's, yeah, that's how it all went down. So I decided I was going to build my own life and build, I started building a program. I decided to put my education or my experience out there for parents to be emboldened to understand what is appropriate mental health care. So I've dedicated myself to that and just being a voice for reason, I think in the mental health field. Uh,
0: uh, Just tell me a little bit more about that. I know you kind of gave some of the, the, kind of overview of that, but how has that all been working out for you doing The Truthful Therapist?
1: Yeah, it's been wild because, um, well, I'll just say I'm not used to public speaking. (laughs) I'm finally getting used to doing these interviews and podcasts, but damn, Uh in the beginning, I was really
0: nervous.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a public speaker. Um, I'm the kind of person that likes to be in the background. I actually really like photography, so I'm usually the one taking pictures or getting other people doing this stuff. So being in the spotlight has been... Uh, a different experience. And not something I asked for, or was looking for. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I feel grateful that I have found a voice, um, that people have found me online. And um, I've, I've had a lot of therapists message me that they have felt more comfortable to speak up as a result of seeing the videos and the essays and things that I've been writing mm. and putting out there. So that makes me feel good. I feel like I've been displaced so many times. I mean, part of what we all want is to have a purpose, right? And yeah. I've been displaced so many times. To me, I was just so lucky to just like get up and go for a walk and then go back to bed. So I just feel so grateful now to be out there and have people like be yeah. able to listen and respect what I have to say and um, be able to help parents that are struggling to find appropriate mental health care for their children. So yeah. it's been wonderful. Yeah
0: fantastic uh, and and you know when you're you're sharing your story, this is what I've had a hard time explaining this to people like i said in in my circle, most of my friends are are pretty conservative most of my family's pretty conservative conservative area. It won't happen here that that's kind of the the mindset that that people have, and again, that's it's shocking to me that you share that story and we we have some differences. I haven't had the chronic pain and, and all of that. Um, although right now my, my current, my full-time job is working with current pain. So your story is like sending just all sorts of evil thoughts in, in my head of like, how, how can they treat someone like that? Um, but I, in my position, um, and I had such a hard time explaining this to people because I worked out a at a hospital at the time, um, doing something somewhat similar, but it was uh purely outpatient and it was with uh, senior adults, um, which we had a mask mandate and stuff too because we're in the hospital, but I don't work there now anymore, so I don't really care. But I never enforced it. It's like I'm not gonna tell these old people that can't hear anyways to yeah, put a mask on. So I didn't enforce that and I never got fired for that. Um, but the, the mask or the, sorry, the, the vaccine mandate came in and people didn't know. They're like, oh, well, the, um, the OSHA one, that one got overturned. So you're good. Like, no, this is different. And I, I couldn't get people to understand that. It's like, this is a completely different thing. Any institution that is accepting Medicare money has to do this. There's no questions asked. And I, the one somewhat regret, I guess I could say, um, the timing of it all worked differently is I wish I would have been fired. I wasn't, um, the way it kind of worked, I was set to be fired because I wasn't going to get it. Um, not, not really so much for my own health, although that was a big piece of it. And unfortunately, uh, I think every day I'm kind of being proved right by some of those concerns I had. Um, but it was much more of a don't tell me what to do <laughs> type of thing. And um, I actually, the, the day that that came down, I, I spoke with my pastor, um, like, hey, what should I do here? Um, and Between talking with him and kind of looking at my own values, I decided to not go for the religious exemption. And I think I could have gotten it if I pressed it hard enough. But kind of similar to you, that wasn't my reasoning. It it wasn't why I didn't want it. Um, And I felt that that wasn't truthful either. So, like, yeah, you're going to have to fire me. And I was going to. In fact, it was close enough to where it was like a Wednesday or something, and that was going to be enacted that following Monday, and I would have been fired. Like, I even had to tell patients, because it would have been the last time I would have gotten to see them. Like, hey, if you don't see me next week, the president fired me. I, I don't know what else, what else to tell you. Um, but the, the courts did come in in the middle of that, and they pushed it back for... However long um, before the um Supreme Court went to it in the meantime I had gotten an offer um from my my current job that I have and it's remote based so I wasn't affected at all and the way the timing worked out like I needed to go ahead and accept it um now eventually the the Supreme Court overturned that or whatever so that it's I would have been fired um but I just that extra piece of me wants that. Like I was fired by the president, and unfortunately, I don't have that. We're fun issue. that way,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: not quite there. But I very gladly would have. Um, but anyways, um, I I appreciate your story on that because I, I'm not going to dog anybody. That um, particularly if you had a legit religious reasoning for taking it or for not taking it, um, and. I think if I would have gone that way, it would have been more so not of a, I'm against this vaccine itself, but more so um, kind of a conscience type of issue. Um, I I could see where somebody could kind of make that argument. But what's frustrating to me is what happened at the hospital afterwards is they realized, oh, no, we have like a third of the people that are not going to take this. We can't function. So they started passing out religious exemptions left right left right everybody gets it so it's people like me did leave there was a a hit but not the the degree that there should have been and i don't want to get like too prideful and be like oh i want the world to burn because it because they hurt me but i do want there to be consequences for Terrible decisions like that, and unfortunately, I think it did kind of get softened a lot by some of these exemptions that just got thrown out there.
1: Well, around here, almost everyone got it. Um, I live in San Mateo County of California. Um, all of my colleagues had already gotten it, but right when I was started, they had already been vaccinated, so it, it, I don't think they really felt the hit. I don't. I don't know how many other people left, and but it was a small amount. And I remember I was standing out with other like healthcare workers in the area. I, I stood out in front of uh, San Francisco general hospital mm-hmm. and they weren't even giving religious exemptions to those, to those folks. Um, but it still was a small minority because most people did take it. They took it without coercion. Um, but a lot yeah. of people didn't agree with the mandates regardless, but they were still kind of, you know, they still had their jobs because they took it.
0: Right. And, what what you had shared there? Hey, I'm I'm uncancelable. I, I love the way that that you're looking at that, and that's part of the reason why I have decided to start going out on my own, and it's actually functioned into as well. Um, I have determined I'm never going to accept any um and network insurance for a similar type of reasoning that I don't. I don't want to play by anyone else's rules. I just yeah. I don't want those hooks in there. And it's unfortunate. Like I get it. Like therapy and things like that. that can be expensive, but it's just not worth it for me to try to go through something like that again. I I, I distinctly remember on that Wednesday or whatever it was before that got overturned, sitting there like my livelihood. I, I've got a wife and two kids, um, and now. Um, uh, we've we've got another kiddo on, on the way too, but before that, with with this two kids, and like you're just gonna take that away because I don't want to to do this. And that moment is like I'll never forget this. Like I got to change things in my life to where I'm not so beholden on a job like this to where they can just take everything from me and my family like that.
1: Yeah, that was the big awakening too. I I again as a spoiled free American. Never felt the government on me like that before in my life. Never had the government affect me that way, like it did during all these COVID measures. I mean, I literally lost my job, but just everything, right? And watching my entire life be changed because of what the government is doing. Um, And I came out pretty, I think, well. I mean, I'm okay. I have a husband who has a job. Um, he did get the thing and he actually had a terrible reaction to it, mm-hmm. but he got it before the, the coercion. And then we both got sick with the virus together. So that's when I knew that the thing didn't work very well. So there was that too. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but we were fine cause we took that horse medicine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> did you ever look at the, some like, uh, Amazon reviews, um, that, they would be on uh, on there like my a hundred and fifty pound horse felt so much better after I took this. Like there's some great reviews out there.
1: <laughs> no, I've not seen that. Oh,
0: well, but cool. the point is,
1: is that I'm okay. Like I, I, my livelihood. I'm not a single mom taking care of children. Wasn't I didn't have to make that life or death decision. Really, you know. I mean, I feel terrible for people that had to do yeah. that. The fact that they they put that on people like that. It, it it blows my mind. It's just it's sure. so unethical. And I was I was out on the streets protesting it par- partly for me because I obviously lost something. But I felt like I got out pretty easily compared to a lot of other people who lost a heck of a lot more. So yeah. it, it was just terrible. And they're just still pretending like it never happened. And I just I just it's it's heartbreaking. Sure. And it's heartbreaking because I feel like not only did those people obviously lose a lot. But we've all lost a lot because what did they do? They weeded out people like you and I who think for ourselves and don't go along with the mandates yeah. and what the government tells us to do. I mean, we need those kinds of people. And I don't think that's an accident.
0: So. No, I, I can't even remember what I was watching yesterday that was talking about how, um, actually, I do remember. How, do, do you Have you ever watched the Fleckas talks before? No. Yeah. Okay, he's he's not who you go to for your uh just very serious political discussion but just for kind of a goofy laugh. Um uh anyways, was talk but he was talking about how you've got your hardcore um mask wearing just compliant everything and then you've got your your red-blooded american that's you know, don't tread on me that type of thing. And they're fighting each other. Just bam, bam, bam. We're going at each other. And they're the enemies. When in all actuality, they're not the enemies. Exactly. 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 Um, but it's just so frustrating because that's, that's all we see. We see, the, we see the person at the grocery store yelling at me for not wearing a mask. So I yell back at them. But it goes so much higher than that.
1: Oh, yeah. Now that's, and that's been the saddest part. I, I get more sad at the people that are behaving that way. Uh, and frustrated, but I'm not really mad at them. I'm mad at the the situation. I'm mad yeah. at the I, I don't know the elites, the people that are running this, the people that are putting this in place. That's what I'm mad at. Yeah. Just watching all of this stuff unfold. I I was just to change the subject. I was just at a rally in Davis, California, because yeah. they're actually putting a, a they're connecting children with a medical clinic to get them transition medicine. Without parent permission, from age twelve and up, and libs of TikTok just did an article on this. So we were out there on Wednesday, and, um, in the pouring rain. It's been pouring rain here in California, and there were these some of the kids that were going up to us, telling us that we're horrible, we're transphobes, we're bigots, we don't care, all these things. So, you know, just yelling. And I wasn't mad at those children. I just yeah. I felt so sad. I felt so. I I just felt so angry at the people that brainwash these children to think yeah. that here we are just caring about them because we want them to grow up with their bodies intact, and we want them to understand that they're being manipulated. Yeah, and they don't they they they're so captured by it that they're just yelling at us, and it was just that and I'm just so upset that this is yeah. what's happening and that people can't see through it and. I didn't know I was that different. I know there's other people like us out there, but unfortunately, especially maybe because I'm here in the Bay Area, I see so many people that really do believe in it. There's uh-huh. the go-along people that are fearful and afraid of cancel culture, but there are a plenty a lot of people that really believe this is yep. the right thing. This narrative is the truth and that the people that aren't going along with it are bad, evil, and hurtful and sure are hurting society. And so I'm just like This is not the world I grew up in. (laughs) This is not, it's really tough to watch.
0: To hear the rest of this conversation, tune in for the next episode of the Truth and Grace Counseling Podcast. The Last Word. Today's last word is conflict. If you follow any type of independent conservative news or or just check out the latest drama on Twitter or YouTube, you've probably seen something about Louder with Crowder, Stephen Crowder and Daily Wire. Now, the purpose of this is not to get into who's right, who's wrong, or really even comment on the situation at all. Um, But something that has been talked about a lot in these conservative type of circles is conflict. Should you be in fighting, is, is what's being said? Should you be fighting with people that you're um, agreeing with? And why I wanted to talk about conflict is conflict is something that is absolutely unavoidable if you're a human. So I think most of you listening to this are, are humans, um, but especially if you are a Christian. And, and I, I know that most of you listening here are probably Christians. Scripture very clearly says that the world will hate you. I I think that's very clear in today's day and age. Simply saying a boy's a boy and a girl's a girl, you will be hated. You you will be discriminated against for having that type of opinion. So, yes, there is the the outside the worldly type of perspective that is going to have that hateful, conflicting type of response towards you. But that can also go inward as well. That could be something in the church, something big going on in the church right now. Another kind of recent, I don't know if you want to call it scandal or controversy, I guess. Um, Andy Stanley um, has been saying a lot of things that have been very, uh, we'll, we'll just stick with controversial. And if I have the mindset that conflict is the problem, I can't speak out, I can't do any infighting infighting because conflict is sinful. Conflict is the problem. If I have that mindset, then I can't call Andy Stanley Andy Stanley out when basically he's uh, promoting homosexuality in the church. Not not just saying that you can come here and, and hear the word, but homosexuality is not sinful at all. Um and if you are a Christian and believe in Scripture, those are going to be conflicting conflicting thoughts there, and, and, and you have to evaluate. Is it being loving for me to not say anything? Is it loving for me to avoid this conflict? Let Andy Stanley, let whoever um, say these things from the pulpit and think that that is more loving to avoid that conflict, or is it more loving to to confront in a very assertive way. Now, again, if our definition of conflict is yelling and screaming, calling each other's names, calling each other names, and punching each other, then I agree that that's not a good way to deal with conflict. But just because I disagree with you and I'm calling someone out, that alone is not sinful. You can can approach conflict in a very assertive, appropriate way, and the other person might even be angry. They might even be upset at you. You are not responsible for their response. You are not responsible for their actions. You are not responsible for anybody else's emotions. I need you to understand that. Conflict alone is not only not sinful, it's inevitable. You will have conflict with every single person you come to contact with. Now, it may be varying levels of conflict but you will have disagreements. You will. That's just all there is to it. We need to learn how to deal with conflict in effective and loving ways. That is the question there. Is it loving? Is it loving for me to call out a Christian and say, what you're doing is sinful? I would argue that it is very loving to do that if you are doing it, again, for the right reasons. If it's a biblical way that you're going about doing it, if you're not slandering somebody, going behind their back or whatever, um, we need to have a way in the church, in your family, in your personal relationships to deal with conflict. Running away from conflict is dealing with it in a sense, but you're just digging your head in the sand like an ostrich, (laughs) and uh, the problems tend to get worse. So, conflict is not the problem. How we deal with it, or the lack of dealing with it, is the issue. Thanks again for joining me on this episode of the Truth and Grace Counseling Podcast. I've got my website information listed down below. If you want to check that out, you're more than welcome to. Um, I also have, I'm not going to announce this every single um, podcast, but I have a link down there that is just a PayPal link to help support the show. as I mentioned, I've got new equipment, things like that. That stuff does cost money. Um, I've got my buddy Ian that he likes to eat too. So um, helping the show does support me and him to, to continue to, to post this content. But you're not only just supporting me when, when you support the show, I've also made it a, a point with my practice, Truth and Grace Counseling, that 10% of all money that I receive is given to my local crisis pregnancy center, care Center here in Duncan, Oklahoma. So I've got their link down below. If if you say, forget you, Johnny, I don't want to support you. I just want to support them. Please do. <laughs> go go to their website. Um, give them all your money. I would rather you give it to them than, than just for me. Um, they do great work with uh, people in Stevens County here in Oklahoma, uh, w- women that, that need assistance. So um cleaning that down there below. And again, as I mentioned earlier, I've got that Google form for any feedback or any guest. If you want to be on the show To let me know. Um, I'm, I'm always looking to improve this podcast. With that, you guys have a great week. Thank you.